To say that it is good to be here would be a gross understatement <laughs> this morning. Uh, we were, we, fortunately, we actually left early this morning. That doesn't happen very often. But uh, we, we left a little early and got to, to uh, almost to Marana, and all of a sudden the freeway became a, a uh, parking lot. And uh, we parked for a while. And uh, we need to pray for the fellow that was driving that truck. It, was, it looks like it was a, probably a very serious accident. Uh, we might as well have, have had everything else is going on. I, as I stand before you this morning, uh, I'm, I'm in the midst of passing a kidney stone. And I'm not in pain, but, but I do have other symptoms of that. Uh, on, on Wednesday, I have to go get a tooth pulled. Uh, I went in to get a root canal last a week ago Saturday, and they said, oh, that thing's beyond help. And uh, so they're going to pull it. And then next, next uh, the, if I come back next month, the next day after I'm here, I will have an elective uh, minor surgery. Uh, and with everything that's going on this morning and all that, and I, I, I looked at my notes this morning as I began to preach, and the first line of my notes says, we live in perilous times. <laughs> and I thought to myself, Lord, we, we really didn't need all these illustrations. Um, that, that statement, uh, you know, we, we could probably just get by based on that statement by itself. But, uh, but, but, but we do live in perilous times, morally. Our nation is, is uh, in our world, is, is in an absolute disaster. Spiritually, we, um, the, um, the, there's so much uh, false teaching and so much division and so on and so forth in our world that it's very difficult to even understand what is taking place. Economically, uh, been, to, been to the grocery store lately. Uh, socially, we, we are... We are a nation that has a hard time understanding just just this, the social norms. What are what are social norms? Politically, uh, we are we are divided so many ways, and so on and so forth. <laughs> Atmospherically, you know, we've got uh, so many uh, issues going on with the, with uh, uh, problems and perceived problems and pretended problems, and and, and so on and so forth. And yet none of this is new. The truth is that, that uh, difficulties and trials have been a way of life since the beginning, since sin entered into the world, and, and problems and so forth. We read a few moments ago about uh, the transition from Moses to, to, uh, to Joshua. And then, of course, about the, the, uh, uh, about, uh, the, the uh, Christ going into heaven and so on and so forth. Last month I told you about, about uh, when I was a teenager and God began to get a hold of my heart how the book of 2 Timothy was such a, a challenge to me as a young man because Paul was writing to a young man. And this year the Lord seems to have laid on my heart that, that uh, the, the, now I'm an old man and the, the importance of, of passing on what I have learned about 2 Timothy to young people. 
And t uh, t today we want to continue that, that uh, thought and uh, a message that I hope will be a blessing to you. 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we'll begin reading the verse 3. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded it, it is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Father, I pray as we open your word this morning that you'll speak to us through your word. And Lord, I, I, I thank you that you did deliver us safely here this morning. Uh, we do pray for the man who was in this accident. Uh, we don't know his condition. Uh, we would pray, Lord, that, that uh, all would be to your honor and glory. But as we open your word to this morning, may we be challenged and encouraged through your word. And we'll give you the honor, the glory, and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Paul is passing on the baton. Uh, the, the, uh, the Christian life, if you can picture, is, is a is a uh, relay race, and one generation passes the baton on to the next generation. And there are three things that we're going to find in our, in our scripture this morning that I hope will be helpful to us. Number one is Paul's optimistic anticipation. Number two is Paul's challenge for diligent responsibility. And number three, his victorious spirit. Optimistic anticipation, diligent responsibility, and victorious spirit. The, the, the truth is that 2 Timothy is a very optimistic book, and, our, and our, it begins optimistically. Uh, I thank God, and so on and so forth. Now, optimism is a funny thing. Uh, optimism is often seen as being an emotion. You know, I feel optimistic. I, you know, if this happens, then this might happen, and... and Boy, we, we, you know, last week they had the Super Bowl, and before the game, both teams were tremendously optimistic. For one, it didn't turn out too well. The other one, we told you, we were optimistic, okay? Uh, for some people, if, if I can't be optimistic, why try? It's, just, it's, it's, it's kind of a, kind of a uh, means of, of coping and so on and so forth. Optimism can sometimes be based upon questionable data. <laughs> There's a, I, I, baseball started this week, okay, so I'm happy. I, I, I love baseball, and, and, you know, pitchers and catchers reported this week. And, and uh, it seems, you know, to me, New Year's is not January 1st. It's the day pitchers and catchers report. That's, that's, when, that's when the year begins. And, and all is right with the world. Uh, there's a tremendous um, controversy in sport today uh, with the advent of advanced metrics as opposed to just uh, playing, playing with your gut, okay? The, 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 for years, everything was just based on what you felt was going to happen and so on and so forth. Now they've got all this analytical uh, metrics and so on and so forth. They've got so many figures and, and, and so on and so forth and spin rate on the ball and, 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 and it's crazy. And, uh, and, and 
They, they have all these odds and percentages and so on and so forth. And yet the bottom line is the guy's got to go up there and hit the ball, okay? And, and, and if he does that, then things go well. And if they don't, they don't go well. It, 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 it turns out pretty, pretty simply, am I right? You can have all the metrics in the world, but if, if the guy misses, and of course, metrics have replaced superstitions. If you have been around baseball long enough, you know that baseball is the most superstitious sport in all the world. Years ago, uh, Arizona State had a baseball team. Uh, they won the national championship three years out of five back in the, in the 60s, uh, 65, 67, and 69. And the 65 team had a, had a catcher that the first game of the College World Series, he had a great game. And so he did not wash his uniform after that game. The second game, he had a good game, so he did not wash his uniform again. And he went through the entire College World Series without ever, now he's a catcher, okay? And he never washed his uniform. By the time that World Series was over, that uniform was able to play by itself. I mean, it, it had, had its own personality. The reason they won that World Series was obvious. No batter wanted to get in the batter's box with that. <laughs> in that close proximity. Superstitions, he had a good game because, because he didn't, didn't uh, wash his uniform. Oftentimes optimism is based upon feelings. Uh, I want it, so it has to be. You know, I, if, if I want it badly enough, I, it's just gotta happen. Optimism can be brash, it can be cautious, it can be covering up fear. There's all kinds of reasons for optimism. But Paul is being extremely optimistic in the book of 2 Timothy. And you, when you look at what's going on, you have to shake your head. This is not a time for optimism. Paul was about to die, okay? I mean, his, his death was imminent. And it would have been very easy for him to get, to get uh, very melancholy and very, uh, very down and so on and so forth. Uh, and especially to lose sight of, well, I'm dying, so the whole world has to end. My grandfather was a great man. I love my grandfather dearly, and he was very, very influential in my life. But over the years, I have, I have realized, my, my grandfather was caught up in, in, in dispensationalism, and I'm not, I'm not here to discuss that one way or the other, but, uh, but he, he just did not believe that things could go much longer. And a matter of fact, when I was growing up, about 1972 was just about as far out as you, you figured it was going to get. And, and uh, uh, you know, he didn't buy a new car because, you know, there's no point in buying a new car. We'll just make this one last until 1972 and we're good. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, the, the difficulty that he communicated with that, whether he was doing it intentionally or not, is... I'm about to die. When I die, everything else is going to be gone. So, so, so don't don't plan. Don't don't get excited about it. Just this is it. Paul didn't do that. Paul was about to die, but he also recognized this, that uh, 
things were going to continue on after his death. Sometimes it's hard for us to, to realize that the world's going to keep going whether we're here or not. But Paul, and I, another thing, Paul's optimism, <laughs> his optimism was not based upon his great admiration for this next generation. You hear what I'm saying? When old people look at young people, okay, back in 1963, the Broadway play Bye Bye Birdie came out and said, kids, I don't know what's wrong with these kids today. Kids, who can understand the thing they say? Kids, they're disobedient, disrespectful oafs, noisy, crazy, dirty, lazy loafers while we're on the subject. Kids, you can talk and talk to your blue in the face. Kids, but they'll still just do what they want to. Why can't they be like we were, perfect in every way? <laughs> oh, what's the matter with kids today? And I would suggest to you that that's been the theme song of every Older generation, since the beginning of time, we look, at, we look at kids and their utter stupidity. And it is stupidity. But we forget that we were kids once and just as stupid. And Paul did not look at this situation of the transfer of, of, of uh, ministry from himself to Timothy in the light of, boy, this next generation, they've got their ducks in a row. Boy, they, they've, they've got it figured. They learned from us. Okay? That didn't happen. They have to learn it on their own. Am I right? You can tell the kid the stove is hot till you're blue in the face, and they're still going to touch it and find out. And, they, and then they'll yell at you, why didn't you tell me? I did tell you. I was talking to a father the other day. He said, he said, he said his conversation with his daughter, every time they, they have a disagreement, she says, you're not listening to me. And he says, I am listening, but you're wrong. <laughs> and there lies the problem. Okay? What's the matter with kids today? Timothy was a kid. You don't think Timothy ever te teased his sister? You don't think that Timothy ever didn't want to get out of bed and Eunice and Lois had to go in there and throw him out of bed? You reckon he ever skipped school? <coughs> Left toys and tools scattered all over the house and had a messy bedroom? Of course he did. He was a kid. So how could Paul be optimistic after he's gone through all this turning over the ministry of the gospel to this kid? We, as, when we look at, as, as adults, look at the leaders of tomorrow, we're scared to death. And, and the funny thing is, each, each generation seems to think that they are the ultimate generation. We've got it all figured out. We don't need wisdom from our elders. We've got all of our ducks in a row. If you need, if you need information, just come to us. We know it all. And, and the battle rages. And I'm going to suggest to you that Timothy and Paul were not any different from any of the rest of us in the natural. So when Paul looked at Timothy, the question has to be, 
How could he be optimistic? Ladies and gentlemen, he could be optimistic because he understood the grace of God. You see, the Apostle Paul knew that Timothy had experienced God's grace. And although Timothy was a a young man that, and we don't know anything about his childhood, but because I have been around as long as I have and seen as many young people as I have, this morning I get up and and there's a, a, a girl, and to me she's still a little girl. And she had a picture of her eighth grade class. I remember that eighth grade class. I did a lot of work with those kids when they were in the eighth grade. Those kids are all grandparents now. Okay? And, and uh, I, I saw that picture, and, I'm, and, I, and it just it hit me like a ton of bricks. You know, this didn't take long. And when we see that, what kind of a mess are we in? But Paul knew what God had done in his life, that God had a plan for him, and that God is never frustrated. And so therefore, God could do a work in Timothy's life, and because he was going to do a work in Timothy's life, and he would never be frustrated, Paul was leaving the gospel in good hands to, deal with, to, to, to give it to, to Timothy. His optimism was based upon a faithful God. He begins by saying, I thank God. He didn't say, I thank Timothy, I thank Lois, I thank Eunice. He says, I thank God who I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. He recognized the fact that if there was going to be anything positive happen in the world of Christianity, it was going to do be not because Timothy was some kind of an extraordinary person or Timothy was some kind of an extraordinary young person and so forth, but because God was going to accomplish his purposes and his will in these things. I made the mistake a few years ago of, uh, of presenting that uh, concept to a bunch of young people concerning a a man who, um, who is, um, how do I say this? Whose theology did not quite fit that mold. Okay, can I, can I just leave it there? Okay. And, uh, and, and uh, I, was, I, was, I was saying to these young people, you know, this is, you know, God has done a tremendous work in this man's life and through this man. And God... Uh, God may use some of you to, to do great things and so on and so forth. And I was later told that I offended this, this dear brother because uh, I said, how did I offend him? He said, well, basically, he took it, you said, he, he puts his pants on one leg at a time. And I said, he doesn't. And, and uh, but, but uh, his, his theology led him to have a highly inflated view of his own importance. Paul looked at these things not from the standpoint of what he had done or what he had accomplished, but what God had done. Now, there's a couple of interesting things. We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but just a couple of interesting sidelights. 
Paul claimed that, that uh, he served God with a pure conscience as his father did. And I, and I find that kind of uh, interesting because I'll guarantee you, even, even by the time Paul was about to be beheaded by Nero and he had started churches all over the world and thousands of people had come to Christ, written 12 or 13 books of the New Testament, and so on and so forth, I'll guarantee you that there's somebody back in Tarsus, some little old lady that says, I remember when. Am I right? I got to tell you, I got to tell you this. The, uh, I, I met Pastor Smith uh, from Phoenix Reform Baptist Church a couple weeks ago. Pastor Smith's mother and I uh, were kids up in Sedona. And uh, she was a couple years older than me. And uh, she, she was at Bible College and came home and she was helped with vacation Bible school and I was in vacation Bible school. Forty years later, I ran into her and she looked at me and smiled and says, I remember in that Bible school when, and she went on to tell what I pulled as a 16-year-old. <laughs> and my thought is, lady, if that's the worst you can come up with when I was 16 years old, you don't know me very well. <laughs> Somebody knew something. Paul himself said he was the chiefest of sinners. How could Paul say that he served God with a pure conscience? It was not because of his actions, but because he was being sanctified by the Lord Jesus Christ. God had been working the process of sanctification in his life. And God is faithful even when we are not. And he, said, and he, said, he talks about the God of his fathers. And you have to scratch your head at that one because at first blush, that's funny, okay? Because if you read the Old Testament, do you see faithfulness in, the, in, in, in his fathers? Not quite, okay? Matter of fact, what is the, what's, what's the underlying theme of the, of the whole Old Testament? Israel's failures. It's God's faithfulness, Israel's failures. Am I right? So when Paul says that he has served God with a pure conscience as his fathers, what, what is he saying? Even in the midst of all of the rebellion and sin and corruption and so forth that Israel went through, God still had his remnant of grace. Oh, folks, and when, and when you realize that, you realize that Paul had a reason to be optimistic. He could look back and see the hand of God all the way from creation. And because he could see all of the hand of God then, and, and know he was not giving a broad endorsement to everybody in Israel, but he was showing that God had been faithful to his own, and his own had served him faithfully. Paul, Paul says, and, I, and without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. Without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. Paul prayed. 
Sometimes we have a difficult time understanding why we pray. You've all seen the signs and so on and so forth that says prayer changes things. Does prayer change things? Not really. Well, if prayer doesn't change things, why do we pray? Because prayer changes me. You see, when I pray, God begins to align my will with his. Only, only uh, it's, it's, it's not, God, I want you to get in line with my will. It's not my will, but thine be done. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. When I was young, I had the idea that that meant that, you know, if I, if I prayed, that God would give me whatever I desired. Over the years, I've come to find out that's not what that verse says. That verse says, he will give me the desires of my heart so that my desires will be in line with what God wants. I will want what God wants. Why do we get in trouble? Because we desire what God does not desire. We want something that God is not in. May I suggest to you that when we understand that, we pray confidently. Paul could pray confidently because he knew that God would work out his purposes in Timothy's life. And then he goes on to say, being mindful of your tears. Whether we like it or not, tears are a part of the Christian life. Tears, tears let you know you're hurting. And I'm going to suggest to you that there are many hurts and many disappointments, many trials and tribulations in the Christian life. And we're going through those things. It's very difficult to be optimistic because we, being finite creatures, have an inability to see beyond the, the immediate, and, and it's difficult for us to understand what God is doing in the long range. Over the years, and it takes years for us to really come to grips with this, we begin to realize that, that all of these things are necessary for our growth and development. The sanctification process is very important. We've gone through some, some uh, difficult times with my wife's family in recent days, and and uh, the other day, my, one of our daughters is, is taking care of, of her uncle. And um, her uncle, because of advanced age and so on and so forth, is, is um, difficult to live with, okay? And, and uh, something came up about my, our daughter doing such and such, and, and my, our daughter says, I don't need that much sanctification. But God does allow things, does he not? And because of that, Paul then could say to, to, uh, to Timothy, you, have, you need to be diligent in your responsibilities. Paul was optimistic, but his optimism was not based upon everything just, you know, we've got it all figured out, so Timothy, just go on. No, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which, which is in you through the laying out of my hands. The idea of stirring up means that, that uh, there, there's, there's uh, uh, 
there, there's, some, there's some effort involved here. There's some work involved here. One of the things that I think we, we overlook sometimes is, is the responsibility of gifts. Luke chapter 12, verse 48 says, But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. But everyone uh, to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to, him, uh, to whom much has been committed of them, they will ask him more. The, uh, the issue here is that, that God gives us uh, responsibilities. Yes, we, we have just dealt with our optimism is on what God is doing. Amen? Amen? But that does not divorce us from our responsibilities. God's sovereignty does not remove man's responsibility. And I do not pretend to be able to stand here and explain what I just said. I just have to believe that that's, that's true. But God gives gifts. And, and, and when we have abilities, they are of God. And they're to be used for God. And they're be, to be used for the purpose of ministering to people. And I'm going to suggest to you that to fail to use them for God's purposes is to hold God in contempt. My favorite movie of all time was, was, this, was uh, The Chariots of Fire, the story of Eric Little. And uh, one of the lines in the movie is, is uh, he's being challenged about his running. He has an opportunity to run in the Olympic Games. And, and uh, he makes a statement that, is, that, is, that, it, that has a tremendous impact on myself. Uh, we showed that movie to our children many, many times. And, and I believe they, they, it had an impact on them. But, but Eric Little says, God made me for a purpose, missions, but he also made me fast. And when I, when I run fast, I feel his pleasure. And, and, uh, and he, did, he did do something uh, very unusual uh, in, in, uh, in that situation. But he, he used his gifts for God. If I could speak to, to the young people today, I would, I would uh, challenge you to, to stir up the gifts that God has given to you. God, is, God has given you abilities and those abilities are not something that you can choose to use or not use. Those are responsibilities. Those are things God gave you to use to his honor and to his glory. Now, we all know about the ministry gifts. But I'm talking more today about just opportunities. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. One of the greatest things that a, that a young person can learn is to whatever you're doing, do your best. Do, you say, well, well that's, that's sure sounding like, like uh, you're, you're ignoring God. No. Remember, it's God who gave me the gift. It's a responsibility. It's an opportunity. And to, and to not do what God has given to me is to hold him in contempt. So Paul is, is challenging Timothy, stir up the gifts. If I can use the old military uh, cliche, be all you can be. Give it everything you've got. Ephesians 4, 7 says, but to each of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. We've been given gifts. So to stir up the gifts means that we train, we sacrifice, we focus, we practice. Oh, 
Oh, that last one. How many of you kids go sit down at the piano and practice 35 minutes instead of 30 minutes? Didn't think so. <laughs> we, uh, how many of us, if mom doesn't stand over us with a club, it doesn't get done. <clears throat> oh, I wish I'd done things differently. Music, I, I, I love music today. And sometimes I wish so much that I had learned the principle of self-government instead of external government a little earlier. But because of this, Paul then deals with a victorious spirit. He's optimistic, but there's responsibility, but there's also a victorious spirit. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Perhaps the greatest gift that we have in the word of God other than the son of God the Son is the command, don't fear, fear not. It just happens to appear 365 times in the Bible. That's one a day. Fear not. Why? Well, we don't have to fear because God is omnipotent. We don't fear because God is omniscient. We don't fear because God is omnipresent. We can serve without fear because of who God is. No matter how large the giant in front of us, our God is greater. We don't have a spirit of fear. And because we don't have a spirit of fear, God gives us power. God has ordained all things, and God is never frustrated, and God is never defeated. All things work together for his good, for our good and his glory. We're told in the scripture that perfect love casts out fear. We're not fear, but power of love. Love, love for God. Proper love for man. Loving righteousness. Loving the will of God. Oh, wait a minute. Don't have any problem with you know, the first one, the second one, the third one. But loving the will of God? Yesterday I got a text from my little sister. And uh, it says that I've been diagnosed with a brain tumor. They think it's benign, but it will require surgery. I called my sister up, and, and uh, she said, she said, uh, I believe life is an adventure and God is in charge. And she was very upbeat, very, very almost excited about, about here's another opportunity. Here's, an, here's another place to, to serve. Loving the will of God is very difficult for us sometimes because the will of God often takes us places where we don't want to go. And we go kicking and screaming into the will of God. And may I suggest to you that the spirit of love that is being dealt with here needs to be focused on loving the will of God, embracing it, focusing on it, flourishing in it. 
my parents recognized very early on that, that uh, baseball was going to be a major part, part of my life. And thankfully, they, de- they, never, they never tried to discourage baseball. Matter of fact, they encouraged it. But my, my parents always said to me, just love God like you love baseball. There was a meme going around last week saying, attend church like you, you would attend the Super Bowl. The pastor preaches a good sermon, pour great Gatorade over his head. But I want to suggest to you that, that, that there, is, there is a, the, we, we know how to get excited. We need to get excited for God. And then a sound mind. And this is not talking about mental health. It's talking about having the mind of Christ. Thinking as God would think. A few years ago, it became a fad to wear a bracelet or whatever. That's WWJD, what would Jesus do? And most people who were wearing those things had no idea what they were talking about and what it was about. But it was, but it was style and fashion, and so they did it. But I'm going to suggest to you that, doesn't, that does not negate in any way the truth of, 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 what's, of, of what's there. What would Jesus do? This is the mind of Christ. It's renewing of your mind, Romans chapter two, 12, verse 2. Here, Paul, giving this challenge, says, look, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And because of all that, Paul could be optimistic, anticipating that even after the acts of Nero would take off his head, and he would be put in the ground that the work of the gospel would continue and that the next generation would have to take up the mantle of, of that, 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 had, that Paul had worn and continue preaching. But because of it, there would be victory. And what does history tell us? Timothy, the bishop of Ephesus, Went through many trials, many problems, many difficulties, but he stayed faithful to the word of God and continued to pass the word of God to us. And today we have the baton of God's word, and it's our responsibility. But some of us are getting, to, getting ready to shuffle off this, this mortal coil, and we have a responsibility to take these children and teach them, David, David said, Lord, now that I'm old and gray-headed, don't take me until I've had the opportunity to teach these children your wonderful works. And I want to I suggest to you that this, this morning that, that it's easy for us to get caught up in perilous times with doom and gloom. Oh, woe is me. Everything is... Is, is going north. I'm a southerner, so, so, so if he goes. <laughs> but, the, but, the, but the truth is, God is still in control. And we can be optimistic for the future because God is still going to be faithful. Father, Take your word. 
and help us to remember your, your truths and your wonderful, the wonderful grace of God. Let us never forget what you've done, what you're doing, and what you're going to do in our lives. In Jesus' name and for your sake we pray. Amen.